0: Hello and welcome to Retro Football Network Podcast. I'm Gary Cook, your host, and thanks very much for joining me today. I have a really exciting guest lined up, and I know you're going to enjoy listening to him tell his stories and share his memories with us. Before I go any further, though, just so you don't miss a thing, if you like what I do, please just click on subscribe and you won't miss out on any of the podcasts. I also write about retro football and have been doing for a while now. So if you subscribe, you will also receive information about the articles that I produce too. Now, so who's the guest today? Well, he's a comedian, he's a podcaster, a TV and radio presenter, and he's also an actor. He is someone you'd have probably heard on different podcasts. You've seen him on TV screens and he's very good company. Really enjoyed doing this with him. He knows his stuff, but most of all, he's a really good bloke. I want to welcome to Retro Football Network, Ellis James. Big welcome to Ellis James. Ellis, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome my to Retro pleasure. Football Network. Yeah. Oh,
1: thank you for having me.
0: No, it's a pleasure. And of course, because you're here, of course, we're going to dive back into the past and talk about. Swansea, yeah, and of course, Wales. Yes. Has to be done. So, first of all, tell me a little bit about when you first got into football. I started in 1985, which was a bit of an interesting year for your club. So yeah, you, how did you get into um, football originally? Because it's a, uh, such a rugby area.
1: Well, Dad, especially, is from the Gwendreth Valley and went to the school that produced Barry John and Jonathan Davis and the Great Lions and Barbarians coach karen james and the british lion gareth davis so there's a max boyce song the fly half factory because all these world-class outside halves would would come from the same couple of villages in the same valley and that's where dad's from so he's a real rugby man and to be honest he's got no real interest in football oh right um but he's quite a patriotic like, like a lot of welsh sportsmen he's very patriotic so um, you know, we would always watch Wales play in the Five Nations as it was then. And then it was all rugby in the back garden. And we I got to a sort of first-year junior school. And suddenly, rather than just running around, which is what little kids do, we <laughs> were playing formal games of football. I remember asking my dad for some advice. I said, I have never really played football before. You know, how do you do it? And he said, well, just, just try and keep the ball close to your feet, and then you can work out the rest for yourself. And all the other kids were far more versed in football and they had stickers and stuff and it was new to me i was probably seven or eight but in that way that you really really jump into your interests when you're that age i thought right this is me and because i because i I mentioned that dad's quite patriotic i i learned very quickly that ian rush who was still one of the best number nines in europe at the time 87 88 probably slightly past his absolute peak
0: yeah he was at juventus then i think yeah
1: yeah so it was probably it was probably the year after Maybe the year is at UVA. the year after he came back, I realised that he was Welsh, which was very exciting. I also realised that Mark Hughes was Welsh, Mm -hmm. and Neville Southall. I thought, my God, this is amazing. I've got all these brilliant Welsh footballers who play for big clubs. So then I've got vague memories of the 88 Cup final, watching the first half, but supporting Liverpool because of Ian Rush, and then... Um. Although he wasn't there, this it was Aldridge, wasn't it, up front? But yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, I sort of uh, Liverpool with a team because they're playing in red as well, and no one liked Wimbledon. That's that's the thing people forget about Wimbledon. I think all of football was was so saddened by what happened with you know the the, the switch to Milton Keynes. Yeah,
0: completely. Yeah.
1: That people forget how unpopular Wimbledon were before that happened. You know, the crazy gang and long yeah, ball yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um. So then I. I remember losing just a little bit when they went one-nil down, but then the '89 FA Cup final—I was absolutely enchanted by it, and I watched—you know—every second of the build-up. Um, I was in front of the telly for the whole day. It's a really, really great final—the '89 final as well. Yeah, right? it was. Welsh yeah. came on as a sub and he scored twice, and obviously, never South was playing as well, and Kevin Ratcliffe was playing mm. Welsh players. But I—I hadn't realised that Wales had a team. And then the 1990 World Cup. I was talking about this with with Josh who who's a similar age to me. The 70s and 80s, and even 90s World Cups, all had a very similar aesthetic, and uh, no, a very, a very, um, a unique aesthetic, all of their own. So, even if you haven't seen a game, you will be able to recognise a group game from. Mexico '86. That's true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, uh, and differentiate it from Spain '82 or from yeah. Italian '90 or from Argentina '78. In within a half a second, it's it's incredible. They they all have a very very unique specific look. An Italian '90, Nessun Dorma, uh, Ga- Gascoigne's tears. I don't think I'd ever seen a man cry on television before. <laughs> um, Maradona. Uh, t- Incident, things like guard and Voller spitting at each other. I'd never seen anything like that before. I remember, didn't Scotland lose to Costa Rica? I remember yeah, Moore yeah, Johnson kicking the post in frustration. I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that before. I just thought this, and I also was on free-to-air terrestrial television, so I'd come home from school and just watch these players who I... I'd often hadn't heard of, but in 1990, I was just obsessed with football. And then Wales played Belgium in October 1990. We beat them 3-1 in the first qualifying game for Euro 92. So I knew all about Belgium. I knew about Enzo folks. Obviously, Mm. England had beaten them in the last 16, the David Platt goal. So I knew Belgium were a good side. But a lot of Wales games weren't on free-to-air telly then. And also, uh, they were weeknights, so I was in bed.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah.
1: So I remember the mo- the night after the game, watching the highlights on the news on Wales Today. Rush scored, Hughes scored, and Saunders scored. I was really into Dean Saunders by that point. I was I was I had a big Dean Saunders phase, which sounds like I had a drug phase. <laughs> but um, I always think Dean Saunders was sort of pulp to uh, R- Rush's Oasis and Hughes's Blur. But um, <laughs> but then I was like, oh my god, all these players, and they're all playing in the same team, and we just had a new Umbro kit, so it was quite similar to the England kit. So we looked the part as well, it was a really lovely kit. And it clicked, I thought obviously we've we've got our own team, of course we have. So then I asked for the kit, my birthday would have been a couple of weeks later, so I asked for the kit for my 10th birthday and then it just became obsessive. And I think football for young boys certainly then I'm assuming it's the same now for boys of nine or ten it allows you to have conversations with adults yeah it's true it allows you to have conversations with bigger kids uh and rougher kids and scarier kids because if you know about football that's actually an enormous equalizer on the playground yeah true and it's it's kind of open to everyone so you you know i i, used to, I had the panini stickers and I had that whale's kit and I used to play all the time and we lived on a street of like starter homes. It was all kids my age and the local headmaster didn't believe in homework. He thought it damaged kids. We just played football all the time. And this sort of coincided with this, this Wales had a really good side and it, and it coincided with the welsh rugby team really being in the doldrums because all of our best players had gone north to play rugby league because obviously unions yeah. amateur is it you know back and followed the so, money yes yeah. Yeah, so we, so we lost our best 15 basically so the rugby team was rubbish which was no fun but the football team in june like, 91 we beat germany i remember first yeah. first, first uh defeat since they become world champions uh ian rush scored i <laughs> I watched extended highlights of it the other day. And uh, it, it's, it's an awful lot of firsts at that age. And I remember um, it was the first time I'd cried with happiness because when the ball <laughs> at the back of the net, I just had all these emotions. I thought, oh, my God, we're going to get to the Euros. Yeah. And then it didn't happen, and we lost up by a point. Another but, another so near, but yet so far. Yeah, the, the thing with Euro 92... Euro '92 is a, is a qualifying campaign. I'm absolutely fascinated by, and we were so unlucky because yeah. in those days, you know, the Euros now is an enormous deal, but it really was the inferior cousin to the World Cup. Yeah, it was. It was an eight-team tournament. Exactly. Yeah, eight teams, which makes Ireland's um, achievements in '88 and Scotland's achievements in getting there in '92 as well just yep. all the more impressive because we came second of the group to germany and it wa- it wasn't good enough yeah. and you know the last two euros for was obviously have been brilliant but you can you can qualify by coming second we were coming mm-hmm. second all the time but to top the group it was it was so difficult Yeah, for, for italian and 90,
0: and things, yeah.
1: yeah so for italian 90 uh, we've got rockcliffe one of the best defenders in british mm-hmm. football southall who's still probably the best goalkeeper in the world Ian Rush is one of the best strikers of the world, and Hughes, yeah. and then Saunders and a couple of other decent players. Our qualifying group for Italian 90 was uh, West Germany, Holland, and Finland. You're like, well, <laughs> Holland have just won Euro 88 and Germany are about to win the World Cup. I mean, it's just, it's it. we were very unlucky. In, and England, you know, England struggled to qualify in the sort of, in the 70s. It was, it, it was hard. Yeah, exactly, twice, yeah, they didn't do
0: it, yeah. Um,
1: So uh, then, it, and then as well, it's just a new world and a new culture and football Mm. fans were slightly different to rugby fans. It felt a little bit of a subculture because the media in Wales in those days was so rugby-centric. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. You did, um, you kind of stuck out a little bit if you were a big football fan. And because we'd had this bad record, I mean, at, at that stage, it would have been 32 years since we'd been in a World Cup. Yeah. People thought it was a a waste of time, and I I really really kept the faith. And um, I had a very very enthusiastic geography teacher at school, and he used to organise minibus trips to the matches because I I didn't go with my old man; I went with the school. They were the right. Band. Okay. He well, to, take... This is
0: just to watch. This is to watch Wales.
1: Yeah, he would take like four hundred kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And um, for the game against Romania, where we had to beat them to qualify for USA ninety four he'd been doing those trips since 1980, since the old British Championships. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and you know, he'd been taking bus trips to friendlies at Ninian Park. I mean, very, very poorly attended matches. And the game for, the game against Romania, Wales went mad in anticipation. We really thought we were going to, the whole country thought we were going to reach the World Cup. And I remember reading a statistic in the paper that Football shirts were out selling rugby shirts by two to one. There were a hundred thousand applications for tickets for that match, and he couldn't get enough. And he rang the FAW and he said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" <laughs> there were three and a half thousand at Union Park. <laughs> for bit the of Costa, loyalty, please for the for the Costa Rica friendly that ended near nil nil or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, this, <laughs> I, I, and I I brought three hundred children. So this this is you you have to find the tickets, and they did actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we all got in, so I was there for the match. And at that time, you know, having come very close to qualifying for Euro ninety two and come very close to qualifying for USA ninety four. I thought that's the way it was. I thought yeah. we had a, a, a good team who always had a chance and then the next seven or eight years were, were terrible. But I was I was involved then. I was uh Too you know, late, yeah, you'd already too late. I jumped in feet. It already bit
0: you, hadn't it? with the Romania game then, I mean obviously Romania had played at the World Cup. we got Haji and players like that. So, obviously, they were not going to be taken lightly. But He was
1: incredible.
0: Yeah. He was
1: player. really incredible to, to have seen him up close. What a, what a footballer. We I mean, knew they were a good team.
0: Exactly. And, I mean, at that period, under Terry Yorath, Wales was just, I don't know, they were so strong. As you said, because of the players they got, you had to fancy your chances of... You're doing something, and Romania—one of them teams where you just didn't know on the day. Yeah, they were beatable, but they also could just pull out some bit of class, and then it's finished.
1: Well, by '93, Hughes was still really playing well. Southall was playing well, although he did make a mistake—an uncharacteristic mistake in that game. Hmm. Sorry, I'll say that again. Although he did make an uncharacteristic mistake in that game. Yeah, um, Ratcliffe had retired. But then we had a young guy speed and a young Ryan Giggs. Yeah, Ryan course, Giggs yeah. was the most exciting teenager in British, not European football. I mean, yeah, people exactly. were, into Milan were trying to buy him. I mean, Serie A clubs were interested. So even though Rush was, he'd scored a lot of goals in that qualifying campaign. I think he might have scored seven goals in that qualifying campaign. So it was his last chance, but he was still banging them in. Um, The thing with, I've read a lot of, the autobiographies of the of the Welsh players involved in that match and when it went um, uh, Saunders scored so it was one all and then the penalty was awarded so it was 2-1 because
0: they had to win didn't they yeah the, yeah a draw wasn't enough was it we'd,
1: we'd got off to a, a crazily bad start we'd lost 5-1 to Romania out in Bucharest in the first game so then yeah. we're playing catch up and then we beat Belgium at home um, and you know we beat Cyprus at home we, we, we were clawing clawing it back but it was a very very tight group with a lot of teams of a very similar standard. Yeah. So then, um, and you know, you know, all those teams had good players. Well, we played we played the RCS, which was, uh, F- uh, I mean, it was what had replaced Czechoslovakia. Yeah. So they all they had good players. was still playing for Belgium. Uh, Romania obviously had Harji and a lot of players who ended up in the Premier League a couple of years later. Yeah, exactly. Like Pascoe and Dumitrescu yeah. and Ilescu, players like that. And um. You know, we'd got off to that terrible start, but it started to cloy back. And if you read the biographies of the players involved in that game, they're all convinced that if Borden had scored the penalty, their heads had just dropped and we probably would have scored another. Like, I, I, I was reading Giggs' um, autobiography because I was writing a piece about this. And he said, you could just see their body language, they were done. And then obviously Borden hits the crossbar and they're back in it then. Yeah, of course, yeah. And... Um, Paul, they were a really Paul
0: Bouldin, the poor thing, eh? <laughs> well, the, the thing. thing to burden on his I'm
1: ship. I'm an apologist for, for Paul Bouldin because he was abs- he was a brilliant penalty taker. He
0: was, yeah, he was. He had a great record, didn't he? Yeah. And
1: he'd scored the he would he'd taken over penalties from Dean Saunders. Dean Saunders had missed a couple, yeah. Although Dean was a good was a good penalty taker, took, was, took yeah. them for Derby, took them for Liverpool as well, I think. But you know, Bouldin had taken over and had had three penalties and scored them all. The game was on the Wednesday night. On the Saturday, we, Swinton were playing, and he scored a penalty on the Saturday. Like, come oh, on, that. Typical, yeah. And uh, there are there's a little bit of revisionism from people who are a little bit younger who just look at the game in isolation and yeah. think, well, why didn't Rush take it? Rush never took penalties. Never, I don't remember. He was him. never a penalty take taker. Never. You know Mark, why? Mark Hughes, why um, you know, Hughes world, was booked? who was suspended? who so wasn't playing? Oh,
0: he didn't play, right? Okay.
1: Dean Dean could have yeah. plausibly taken one. In a shootout, you'd have expected Giggs to take one, but he wasn't a penalty taker for money nights. Dude. No, he'd
0: missed one the year before um, yeah. in, a, in a cup game. Yes, yeah, Speed lost,
1: Southampton. Uh, wasn't a penalty taker for Leeds. It was Paul was the right... When, when yeah. Paul picked the ball up, no one in the ground thought that's the wrong person to take it. No. Everyone remembered the previous ones he'd scored. And to be honest, he's two inches away, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Because he was roster. playing in the Premier League at the point. Yeah, yeah good player. Right.
0: It's not like he was one of the players from the third division who just... Um... No,
1: and it's his assist for Rush to score against Germany in 91. I mean, yeah, the long no time. one had a problem with Paul Bolden. Is this? <laughs> it's. I feel really sorry for him because I think he's shouldered the blame for that for um, a long time. I interviewed quite a few of the players involved in this for a documentary I made for BBC Wales. I taught to Neville Southall. Now we we came agonisingly close to qualifying for two World Cups in the eighties and two Euros, mm. and then Euro ninety two, and then uh, USA ninety four. Neville was involved in all those campaigns. People might remember, say, the one all against Scotland yeah, and, course, in the park yeah. in eighty five. Then, like Jock died, of course, yeah. in qualification for eighty six. You know, Neville Nev deserved to play at the highest level, oh, you know, on the on the on the, on the, on the, b- the bigger stage. And he was always always um you know, you know in teams that weren't quite good enough and i i said to him once i said are you not are you bitter about this and he said no he said i think the fans are, are worse than the players because we were the ones on the pitch trying to make a difference mm-hmm. we could tell we weren't good enough and i think footballers can often be a bit more sanguine about it because yeah. they've they're the ones making the effort it's, it's the supporters on the on the terraces and in the stands Who are desperately trying to make a difference but can't? Exactly, yeah. It's like the expectation, perhaps as well, was a bit. Yeah. So Nev, I wouldn't say he's over it, but I mean, he, I think he's got a he's got a very healthy attitude to those defeats. But watching the those players, that was the end of that cycle. That it was the end of that generation. Watching them all trudge off the pitch at the Arms Park was horrible because you you knew really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, knew it was the the last
0: chance for so many of them. Yeah. Oh my
1: God. But again, I just, by that point, it was a little bit before music came into things. Yeah. I mean, Welsh football was was on the up at the time, so we we used to get the Western Mail, which was the sort of big newspaper in South and West Wales. Yeah, newspaper, yeah. And they would usually try and find a story about Welsh football. And I would, I think the reason I've got such a memory for that era is it's it's pre my mind being melted by smartphones and social media, <laughs> and you couldn't actually access very much information about the team.
0: No, exactly. So, yeah, you tried to consume everything you can because yeah, it was so limited.
1: So you'd you'd read the programmes yeah. again and again. Yeah, and then any articles I'd cut out. Yeah. So you're f- effectively revising. And I should really have uh, approached my exams in this kind of way. But that, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was never going to happen. And um, at this stage as well, I think when, you're, when your identity is growing or you're finding your identity, I used to find it really frustrating that if we ever went on holiday to England, people assumed I was this sort of rugby mad kid. And I was like, no, not, not at all. It's because
0: you were Welsh, they thought
1: that. Yeah, we weren't allowed to play football at school. There was no there was oh, no right, football okay. at all. It was all... so. Kenna wins the British Lion, and Welsh Captain was in my sister's class and, st- and lovely bloke, always says hello to Mam in Tesco. And then um Stephen Jones, the British Lion, and the, who was Welsh captain, and I think he might be been captain. He was certainly he was one of the coaches till quite recently. He was two years above me. So I we went to a real rugby school. So there was there was no football at all. And what I found so unfair about that was the boys the wanted to well and it was the boys then because it was the 1990s now it's boys and girls but mm. back then the boys wanted to play football and we weren't allowed to and um, you know that's changed I was I was talking to my old uh, head teacher and, and now the, the boys and girls have football teams in yeah. in every year and I would have loved that when I was there oh completely yeah it wasn't, wasn't the case
0: we had the opposite at my school secondary school we had all these we had about four rugby pitches we never had a rugby team in the five years I was at school We played rugby once in PE. So were you a union area in Mansfield or league? Um, To be honest, it's not really either. I mean, there's rugby union there, but there's not, it's not, it's it's a bit in between, you see. There was a club in Nottingham. Mansfield's got a smaller club, but rugby league is more Yorkshire, Lancashire. Of course, yeah. So when it comes to rugby, it's it's a bit of no man's land, really, I suppose.
1: That's interesting.
0: Um, Yeah, because Nottingham at one point had a good club. They had... Players like Rob Andrew played. Oh, there. of course. Yeah. Brian Moore as well. Yeah. Simon Hodgkinson. They were like the three big players at the, in the 80s and things. But and,
1: you know, England internationals, Grand yeah. Slam winners.
0: They went on to obviously better things at bigger clubs. But yeah, so rugby was not really a big thing. So we had football. Cricket was also a thing because of yeah. the county. Um, and Trent Bridge is probably, what, 15 miles away from where I grew up. But to be honest, football's always been the thing. I mean, everybody played football everybody loved football and we never really had that that rugby thing as well so
1: because it's such the thing with football and I'm discovering this thanks to my own children it is it's so it's so affordable and it's cheap and it's so simple to play you don't need you need almost no equipment at all yeah. you basically need a pair of trainers and a ball yeah and we you know I never had goals it was all it was jumpers for goalposts. Literally, it was. I know it's a cliche, and but it was true. It, and, and it's it true. And but that didn't matter. No, of course not. And it's, you know, um, it's 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 just such a simple game as well. It's a yeah. really really simple basic game. And watching my kids play it, I just think, yeah, no wonder this is the world's game because it's it's the it's the sim- it's the simplest best one. And I I love all sport. But I just think that the football stands alone.
0: Oh, completely. It's so much easier just to get a ball, cheap ball and get going. And, yeah. Or in my but case, sh- I'm but- an old child. So I used to have a football. Yeah. And of course, I'd turn up at the park and everybody wants to play with the football. So of, of course. course, you're never short of a game.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you always had that
0: situation. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Because I, but well, we had kids on the street to play with as well. Now, one thing just briefly touched on there, talking about Wales, which I want to cover. You said you were all in at this point, after 93, but it felt like the end of an era. And then what an era came next?
1: Well, (laughs) my God, the the, the, the Bobby Gould era. It was was, was Mike Smith, actually, afterwards. I remember, yeah. Now, Mike Smith um, deserves an awful lot of credit because Wales were terrible in the early 70s. Mm. And then he took over... And I mean, it seems laughable now when you think about the uh, you know the nutrition aspect and the sports science aspect yeah. of modern football. But he'd been a, a school teacher, I think, and he he approached the Welsh team in sort of 1974 with a sort of scientific uh, approach. That was what he said. So he started training the team differently, and we got to the quarterfinals of Euro '76. Now.
0: Can I just say that's very rare. This doesn't seem to get a lot of mention. There. Oh,
1: this is a a real bugbear of mine. But I'm a, not surprised. Why a, is a real bugbear of the players?
0: They always talk about 1958 and yeah. all that, going back to 1958 all the time, but they never talk about 1976. the,
1: the reason they don't is that we technically didn't qualify for the tournament because right. in '76, and this is daft looking back. The Euros, the European Championships, was a four-team tournament. So you had to qualify for the semi-finals to officially be in the Euros. So we topped our group, which is, I think, the only, apart from Euro 2016, the only time we've ever topped a group. Uh, So we topped our group, got through to the quarter finals, played Yugoslavia, Mm -hmm. um, lost 3-1 at Ninian Park, and having lost out there as well. A very, very controversial game. You know, there's awful refereeing decisions, Goals. Uh, we should have been given a penalty. Yorath missed a penalty. I think it was. It, it, and then there was a pitch invasion. There was crowd trouble. All sorts of stuff. But that was a really good Welsh team. So you people like John Toshack and Brian Flynn and Leighton James, and and Terry Yorath, of course, Yeah. Dai Davis, and they're all quite. I think they they feel forgotten about. Yeah, okay. and if it had been a tournament like. You know, the modern day, it, it would be a big story, but because it officially wasn't the tournament until the semi-final stage, they've they've it's kind of been forgotten in the mist of time for some reason. But I think by them, but Mike Smith had managed that side, mm. so you know, um, it was. I remember when Saturday comes, when we re-employed him, he hadn't worked in football for years, uh, and had been a pundit. I remember when Saturday comes said it would be like England (laughs) England sacking sacking Graham Taylor and replacing him with Jimmy Hill. Like it was and I I, I'm Mike came really close to qualifying came close to qualifying for seventy eight as well. I mean he he was a good manager, but he hadn't done it for a long time and the the FAW was skint and had run out of ideas effectively. So then we had Mike Smith, we lost to Moldova in their first ever game, we lost to Georgia as well. They I mean it clearly wasn't working for Mike. So then they brought Bobby Gould in, who apparently when you when you read up about it, if you read um news reports from the time, he apparently gave an absolutely stunning interview. So he, he came down to Cardiff uh, and just absolutely wowed the FAW with this interview. I'd love to know what he said.
0: I know. I don't know. You get this impression that he could probably be. I don't know. Maybe a bit charismatic or something, or just yeah. Because of course it's long before PowerPoint presentations. Of course, he yeah. Not going do anything like that. No,
1: no, he wouldn't be. I know he would have been very old school. I imagine. I, I reckon.
0: Imagine he was. Yeah. I think.
1: I'm. I'm. I'm guessing. But I'm assuming that he was going to try and bring in crazy gang spirit to the national team. and the He WWE. probably
0: mentioned the 88 Cup final about yes. seven times in the interview.
1: Yeah, I'd assume so, yeah, because obviously that was still relatively recent. Yeah. But, I mean, admittedly, we had players who were at the end of their time. Of course, yeah. Uh, Rush and uh, Southall and a couple of others. Ratcliffe had gone by that point. We still had Gary Speed. We still had Ryan Giggs. Marcuse was still playing quite yeah. well. Saunders carried on as well, yeah. um, and then you had y- younger players like Robbie Savage. But it was the way he handled things. Like Robbie Savage was was set up really by Sky. They 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 asked him to throw Maldini's shirt in the bin. And I
0: remember him doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, as part of promo for a, a game against Italy. And Gould just lost his mind, and and there was this excruciating press conference. We're like a school teacher is making Robbie apologize. Go on, Robbie. <laughs> tell tell them what you told me. It's just it's awful. And then we lost to Leighton Orient in a friendly, and uh he made the play. you tri- to
0: know who was in that Leighton Orient team at that time as well. Well,
1: it was a lot of trialists, which right, makes it even worse. So there was um uh yeah, it was uh Peter Garland scored the winner for Leighton Orient. Now Peter Garland He'd, um, he'd had about 20 games for Tottenham, right, okay. sort of late 80s, okay. early 90s. I don't remember him at all. No, but I mean, uh, I had 20 games at most, I think. And then, then he'd had a, he, I think he played at Charlton a little bit. He was a, we've used Peter Garland a lot on fancy football, league, so I've, I've got to know him now. He's a lovely bloke, but I think he had one or two games at Charlton, I, I think. But he was a trialist looking for a club, a journeyman, yeah. and he he scored the winner so it wasn't even and leighton orient had finished fourth from bottom in the entire football league the season before i mean they were one of the worst professional teams in Well,
0: in the mid 90s of course we know about the famous documentary and all that
1: situation. yeah of course yeah yeah state, they're in such a mess and everything and you yeah. know it was i know a few people who were at that game and we it was just a shambles and then he he we played Kumbran. Uh, who were in the what was then known as the League of Wales, mm. and we did beat Cumbrian, Uh but he brought himself on. You know, he wasn't eligible. He was English. He was in his fifties. It like, was. It seemed to be about him. I remember. I I had another great one the other day that um, we were going to play. I think it might have been Germany. I think it was Germany, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> But he he made the team play the press, the Welsh press, a Welsh press eleven, you know, like players from South Wales, from the South Wales Echo and the South Wales Argus and sort of Radio Wales and stuff. And he made the Welsh team won, as you would expect. And he made, but he made changes based on their performance against the press.
0: <laughs> Goodness me! I mean, I remember. It I was just it Brom. was just
1: embarrassing. It was embarrassing um, all the time.
0: At West Brom, I remember they turned against him. I think at one point didn't they turn up with a coffin or something with his name on in the stand or something like that? It yeah, was, I it certainly divided a lot of um, fans. I mean, obviously he's, he's had success in management in some levels because
1: yeah. And I know people have worked for him at Talk Sport and they all say he's a lovely bloke. Yeah, I've heard that as well. I've um, I, I I've got good friends who work with him and, and will not hear a word, a bad word said against yeah. him. But it was, he was, the, he was the wrong person for the job. And yeah. I think we you know, Welsh football is cyclical. So we're on, for instance, at the moment, mm. we're on a downward cycle because we're just waiting for the next.
0: Similar things happen, doesn't it? The superstar have got old at the same time.
1: Yeah. And there's the bit where you've got really, really promising players but they're inexperienced yeah. and then they peak and then you've got to enjoy that whilst you can and then obviously they retire then you're waiting for the next crop and with england for instance uh you, you know michael owen becomes wayne rooney who becomes harry kane it it all happens much more quickly whereas yeah. we're just playing a, a waiting game because you know it was russian hughes which becomes uh, Giggs and saunders and then there's and then you know you're waiting and then it's bale and ramsey and, yeah. So you're just hoping that there's some um, fourteen-year-old kid kicking a ball against a garage door in Swansea or Manchester or something who's going to yeah. be the next one. Um, but with with Gould, I mean, and then there's an odd thing with football, I think, where there's a real glory in supporting a bad team because you're not a glory hunter and you're you're in it. Like a badge of honor. At the sharp end. It is a badge of honor. And then with that comes a lot of gallows humor. (laughs) But having supported bad teams and successful teams um, or the same team, but in uh, bad years and successful years, it's much more fun when they're successful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, it's funny you you talked about the nineties there with Wales started really well, then went off a bit of a cliff. And then with with Swansea, of course, you supported Swansea, it's the nineties and, and then into the early two thousands, and it's complete chaos at the club at times.
1: I was thinking about this last night. I can't and if you can, please let me know because I'm struggling to think of one. I cannot think of a club that's had a more roller coaster forty five years than the Swans. Because we had to go, um, we need to be re elected to the Football League in about 75. Yeah. And a couple of years later, Harry Griffiths and then John Toschek takes over as player manager. And we go from the fourth to the first division in, you know, three years, I think it is. But then we go back from the first, come sixth in the first division. Know, having we've I mean, been top so in close
0: March as well. we been one, top all season and then
1: yeah. top in March and then fell away in the, in the, you know, after Easter. So then we go 4-3-2-1, 1-2-3-4. So by 85, we're we we're back in the fourth division. Yeah. Back where we started, the clubs wound up in the high court. So then we sort of bounced around the lower divisions for a bit. Um, well, I
0: remember, Alice, what happened, um, I think it's about about, yeah, it was end of 85, 86, of that year. Swansea were in such a mess. I remember Manchester United sent a team back yes. January, February time. Yeah, yeah, States, yeah just to give them gate receipts.
1: Yeah, bucket collections at the game, yeah, at the games, gate receipts, all sorts of stuff.
0: Atkinson took a side down, I think it was a Monday night or something. Yeah. They took them down and just to keep them afloat a bit longer. And- you know, uh,
1: the, the, I think that's still amongst, I think I'm an odd little generation for Swansea fans because I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people who are a bit older than me, who are sort of in their early 50s. So about eight or nine, 10 years older than I am. And they remember the Toshak era, you know, yeah. Curtis and Leighton James and Robbie James and beating Leeds 5-1, beating United, beating yeah. Arsenal, beating Liverpool, you know, being top of the first division. And in those days, because of what Forrest had done and what Derby County had done as well, and what Ipswich had done, yeah. it was actually plausible for an unfashionable team yeah. to win it's the league. It's not like
0: when Leicester won
1: it. It's no, no. Like no. But going going from the from the fourth to the first division Shankley called Toshak the manager of the century I mean it yeah. was a great achievement so then obviously by the mid 80s we're back again in the fourth division and then we're completely skint and uh, the, the grounds fall into bits and um, you know there's a hooligan problem and all of that kind of stuff and then we were owned by a, a local man called Doug Sharp and he used to come in for a lot of stick but to be honest, with the benefit of decades worth of hindsight, his crime was that he wasn't a multimillionaire, yeah. and it was frustrating because, you know, we'd often sell our best players. But I, I think that was probably the, the financial reality he was in. There was nothing much he could do about that. No. Then we had some shocking owners. By this point, we've got a sort of a million, you know, eight to hundred grand's worth of debt or something, and then we were bought by uh a man called tony petty for a pound
0: yeah that's when things that was really i mean this his, is, now it's
1: it's chaos right yeah. so we i mean he bought the club for a, for a quid and then he immediately effectively tore up the contracts from most of the first team squad he was going to play the youth team <sighs> so then there's protests off the pitch he was attacked um mel nurse who played for the club in the 50s and 60s bought the debt to try and force him out I think then that that went to the high court. I mean, we're we're going week to week. I yeah. uh, and and I mean, the club can't the, the when we were initially taken over. The the aims of that consortium that took over were to keep the club going to pay the water bills so we could water the pitch. I mean, it was yeah. it was literally that. Now in the nineties, we won we we won the third division. Yeah, won the championship, and came very close to getting promotion to what is now the championship, lost in the playoffs to West Brom, won the Autoglass Trophy. Yamobi was our player manager. for it a bit. Was, yeah. So there was actually success on the pitch somehow. It was just chaos off the pitch. So then Petty was attacked and run out of town, effectively. He paid 20 grand from a carrier bag, apparently, in a c- hotel room in Cardiff. So then you've got a consortium of local people. Yeah. We've got no background at all no experience at all in running a football club. Running a football club. And then we go from we we came we were within minutes really of falling out of the football league. So we yeah. had to go Hull on the final game of the O two, O three season to stay in the football league and we would have been the first team who'd been in the first division to have been relegated yeah. from the football league. What was so, it like that day then? I was there that day and um It just felt so serious. Like I've been to cup finals with the Swans and I've been to playoff finals with the Swans and I've seen us, you know, relegated but there was something about the trapdoor of going into the conference as it was then that just felt so serious. And what was so sad was that there was actually with the consortium, people like Hugh Jenkins who became the chairman and Lee Denine, they were... And they, and I think it's quite sad the way this has turned out. They're now quite unpopular in Swansea for the way they sold the club a few years ago. But at the time, there was enormous optimism about the club yeah. off the pitch. Because for instance, around the Tony Petty time, Britt Eklund's brother had tried to buy the club. <laughs> it was just weird. <laughs> it was just every time you'd pick up the paper, there'd be something new. You just thought, we?
0: I mean, we're in absolute shambles. You can't believe, though, in that time, it's the same in the 90s and the 2000s, that so many clubs were just going through that. There was the problems of Doncaster. Yeah,
1: yeah, Full, yeah. Older uh, shots as well yeah, went bust. and they did. Um, I mean, it happened to Bury quite recently. Obviously, it's, yeah. It's, when you look at the amount of clubs that have been in administration, I watched it, I read a list of this the other day. It's inc- it's ridiculous. When you think yeah. The, it, Football is just this its own daft economy that doesn't really make sense. But in the early 2000s, it was really, really grim. So we had to beat Hull on the final day of the season. And Hull with the other team, who, uh, Exeter with the other team who could have gone down. And we lost to Exeter in the penultimate home game of that season. And I'll never forget this. There used to be a penalty shootout uh, at half-time with the mascots. <laughs> and Cyril Le Swan was in goal. The infamous young, Cyril the yeah, Swan, who'd kicked off Zampa the Lion's head, and had been banned by the FA and all that sort of stuff. And the thing, so Cyril the Swan's in goal, and in those days they used to do the the penalty shootout in the proper goals on on at half time. Now they yeah. do them in the little plastic ones on the yeah. side, but it was the proper goals, and uh, it was an older looking mascot, and he very confidently drilled a penalty past Cyril the Swan's outstretched wing and he was, he looked older than all the other kids, right, and he ran towards the North Bank, he took his top off, and he was an Exeter fan. What? So so they're bottom of the table, and we're, you know, third from bottom, whatever it was, and we're playing them. as penultimate the home game of the season, and we're losing 1-0. So he takes his top off, reveals an Exeter top, and kisses the badge, and the North Bank sort of goes ballistic, and he's, oh, that's really, he's yeah. giving it the big one, shepherded off by stewards. And I thought, this is just... Absurd, and they were about 9,000, 10,000. It was a capacity crowd that day because I I couldn't get a ticket on the on the north bank. I was on the I was in the east stand, and I remember thinking, this this club has got a, a decent support mm. with the second biggest city in Wales. We would this this is a, a ridiculous situation to be yeah. in, and it just it just felt really really gloomy. And then we beat Hull, and it was a local boy called James Thomas who got a hat trick. And very sadly with James. He had to retire the next season because of knee problems. Because he'd been at Blackburn and, and worked out for him at Blackburn when they were, you know, Premier League champions. Yeah. But really talented player, James. Played a lot for Wales under twenty ones. You know, thought he might get a full cap. But the hat trick he scored on the final day, and because the Vetch was terraced on three sides of the ground. Yeah. It was a very, very old-fashioned ground. And you can't really get that kind of experience in a in a modern stadium yeah and all, it was one of the last games of its kind in that oddly and you can watch this on uh youtube dutch television had decided to make a documentary about swansea and exeter so they were following fans of both clubs and they they then you know when we're so we're 2-1 down just before half time so we're we're going out the league yeah of course it's cur- cur- curtains So they they show footage of Exeter and because it's the pre-smartphone age, people are being texted updates but they can't get signal, they've got transistor radios to their ears. So then you're getting all these weird pockets of celebration all around St James's Park as the news is coming in. And then James scored a penalty just before half time so I think at that stage we we were technically safe but it was very tense. I just thought this is this is madness, but to be yeah. honest, it was, the, it was the springboard we needed because the season after that summer, we then got Lee Trundle. Yep. Lee Trundle absolutely revolutionized the club. Completely, yeah. And he, he made it cool to support the Swans and he was on Soccer AM with his showboating he came he at the real... right time for that, didn't he? Just before yeah. YouTube started taking off and before YouTube yeah. arrived, and he said
0: I and he got these yeah, he, tricks and things. And... He was
1: a sort of pre-social media viral star, if you like. Yeah. So then obviously, so Lee came and, then we, and Brian Flynn stayed and we had, I think we came 10th, I think, the next season. But after that, we got promoted and then suddenly we're in League One and that felt a bit more like us. Then you get promoted to the championship and i think to be honest when you're looking at the size of the city and the catchment area of the club i think the championship is where we are most naturally i think
0: probably a fair point yeah
1: um and then being in the championship felt brilliant and then to go to the premier league being owned by local having local ownership with fan representation from the you know on the board guaranteed with the trust yeah it was just, it was great. It felt like, and it just felt like clouds had lifted from the club. Really, well, that it was that it, game. Yeah, really but big I, I, can't think of any another team that's had such a rule. Like Watford, maybe Luton, I suppose, would be a good show. Maybe Brighton, perhaps. Maybe they. Yes, Brighton's a good example. actually. Because they had,
0: they lost their ground, didn't they, and everything. And they... Yes,
1: that's a very good point. Yeah, Brighton, because probably. Luton, I, th- I've got this theory. The way football is when you're about 10 is what you think the natural order of football is. That's exactly right. I'm exactly the same. So I was 10 in 1990. So I think Liverpool should be the best team. Uh, I think Luton should be a good side and in the yeah. Premier League. Yeah, um, Coventry, QPR. <laughs> Coventry, great example. Yeah. Coventry are a Premier League team, as far as I'm concerned. And so, yeah, Luton, because they ended up in non-league, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah, they did. And they went into administration
0: they lost so many points with administration. I mean Bournemouth, they but they they had similar financial problems, but they'd never got to the levels of Luton had. No. And as no. you said, because 85 was my first year. So you got Luton, Coventry, QPR. Oxford well, United did as well. Yeah, Oxford came up at the end of that season. So you got Oxford, Watford, all these teams for me, I thought it was standard until I started yeah, yeah. a bit of research and realized they'd only been promoted about two or three seasons before. Yeah. But it was normal for me. Sheffield Wednesday. For me, we're a massive club. When I yes, went, yes, absolutely. When I went to Hillsborough, I just thought, "Blimey, this is must be one of the biggest clubs in in England."
1: Then, well, they they probably are. If you look at the yeah. the amount of uh, competitions they've won, the amount of league titles they have, the amount of FA Cups they have. I mean, '93 they got to both finals. They got yeah. to Coca Cola Cup final myself, and the FA Cup I read final. About myself, yeah. And um, huge huge support, Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, like I was in London. Uh, the day, of the playoff final, when they played Barnsley, yeah. you know, they are, they're, they're enormous, an enormously supported club, yeah. and also a very historic club as well, Sheffield Wednesday. Completely. Yeah, it's, it's like we played, I remember us playing Leeds in League One, Swans, I remember going up to Ellen Road with the Swans, thinking Leeds United in League One. Yeah. I remember us playing Ipswich in the FA Cup, third round in January, and we were probably League One by that point, but they were a championship. We took about 2,500 fans to Portman Road because they were regarded, especially by our older fans, as a big club.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah.
1: You know, for Cup winners. Yeah. And um, I, th- I always find it quite sad when I talk to someone who's much younger who thinks the Sheffield Wednesday are a lower league team or the Ipswich are a lower league team or Luton? Because I think, well, you haven't done the background reading. <laughs> <laughs> you need to do the background reading.
0: And and that's the thing. I'm I Probably sometimes I'm a bit of a football snob like that, I think.
1: Oh, I am, absolutely.
0: When I meet people even the same age, I mean, I'm 46. I mean, I meet people the same age, and if they're a similar age and they don't know some of the stuff I know, I kind of judge them. It's terrible, really, Alice. I'm really mad I, for that.
1: I just think football's got such a rich history yeah and i i will admit right i think the champions league the the knockout stages of the champions league is probably the most exciting it's ever been um in terms of the quality of the football and the kind of football that's being played obviously there's like there's a stranglehold from certain clubs of course yeah which you didn't get in the in the past and obviously that makes it less interesting but the but the actual fare on the pitch what's happening on the pitch i think is the is the best it's ever been yeah in terms of quality I um think. but just it's such an interesting competition so why would you not read about you know the genesis of it in the 50s and the, the, 50s and the 60s and 70s i i find it mad and you talk to some people and they will be able to confidently name some uh fullback who plays for Torino in Serie A, you know, who's 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 played who's made ten appearances last season, isn't even first choice fullback. And yet they won't know that uh Ajax won it in the seventies. Yeah. You think, come on, mate. <laughs> I think that some of that's to do with like the football
0: manager FIFA. Because yes, you've got course. all this access yeah, to and players FIFA now. And stuff. Yeah. And that's why online a lot of people will say, Oh, my club needs to buy this player just because he's good on a video game. Yeah. yeah and in reality, yeah, yeah. they've never seen him play and they've no idea yeah. if he's good or not. So I, no idea.
1: I think as a kid I used football as a way of making sense of the world Mm. so for instance when i first started reading about football it was just before the fall of the berlin wall yeah so you'd have you know clubs in eastern europe and stuff completely and it was a way of discovering what the soviet union was yeah and yeah you know and it was just a way of making sense of things. I think it's f- for a kickoff. The obvious one is massively improved my geography. <laughs> I it's mean, down to geography. That's down to football that I've got geography, I think. Yeah.
0: Because I know where places are.
1: Yeah. I know where Boston is.
0: Yeah. Crew, <laughs> places like that. Yeah. I, yeah. You It's okay. I know where exactly where that is.
1: I know exactly where Lincoln is. Yeah. I know exactly where Mansfield is.
0: And it's connected also as well with even European football as well because you know yeah. i met i met somebody through work once and he was from a german town and i just said straight away the football team he's like how do you know them yeah yeah just because of football not, but, not I th-
1: but i think when you're a when you're a kid i think it's actually quite exciting that you can discover all this stuff in a way that's so accessible yeah because you want to be reading it anyway and you're kind of learning at the same time so yeah, I uh, in terms of my European, certainly my British geography, it's it's a lot of that comes from football, which is, um, and I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's a great thing.
0: Now, one one last thing I want to talk to you about before we finish today is you mentioned briefly because fantasy football, um, it was rebooted, and you were part of that with matt lucas um first of all let's just go back to the 90s were you a fan of the program at the time or were you a bit too young or
1: no i was th- it started in 1994 so i was 14 so i was effectively the perfect age for it yeah. because i was allowed to stay up that late i love football i was already aware of diva Badil because yeah. of stuff like the mary whitish experience yeah, too, yeah. and um newman and Baddiel. Uh it was a competition. I I played a very early version of it in Shoot Magazine. Right. Okay. And I was I f- I think that program changed my life. I fell in love with that program. I used to video it off the telly.
0: I used to, I've still got some. Got some yeah. Yeah. VHF yeah. They're some. at my
1: mum and dad's house. Yeah. I think the same. And what I loved about it was in those days it was uh, I think there were a couple of it had a couple of amazing strengths. There was it was effectively fanzine culture on yeah. on the telly. Uh, and it was the only program that was made for supporters by supporters so you know very very rarely do they have ex-players and pundits on or journalists it was football fans yeah and anyone who's ever liked football will know if you put football fans in a room together they will always have something to talk about exactly and so if you if you've got I don't know um, Nick Hancock who sports Stoke and Alison Moyer who sports Southend United on a sofa they will be able to talk and they are funny people so yeah. it's going to be great so I absolutely adored that programme Um, and what I liked about it as well was that it uh, it didn't talk down to fans so it talked about a lot of Sempties football which was before I was born
0: Yeah,
1: but it, it, it kind of expected you to know and if you didn't know, that was your fault. But I liked that. Yeah. So it introduced me to a lot of players and a lot of things that I hadn't seen before. So yeah, so I was, I was just a huge, I was a huge fan of it. And um, obviously, I think with that program, there are looking back, there are things that they uh, have had to apologise for that they're embarrassed about. Yeah, with today's culture and um, have change, aren't they? Yeah. But certainly, as a f- fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old, when it was on um i i yeah i just, i i thought it was fantastic so when i was asked when i was asked to take part in the reboot matt jumped at the chance i had to think about it because i thought i really really don't want to mess this up and if i mess this up i would feel terrible i
0: can understand that i can understand that i um, like being in a, a, a band or something and the yeah the, the, they need to replace the guitar player and you don't know if you think yes like, no, I, don't, I don't want to do that The last one was excellent yeah
1: Hiya, Ellis. Yeah, Graham Coxon's Ills. They want you to play uh, at Wembley, um, so I had to think about it a little bit because also the thing with that show it is loved. So as soon as it was announced that we were bringing it back, I was getting text messages from people I would not spoken to for years saying, "Oh my God, this is that's so exciting!" And the first the first week it went out, I was at something like Chessington World of Adventures with the kids, and I had so many people coming up to me saying oh you know brilliant loved it in the 90s and you know best of luck and all that kind of stuff so yeah i felt like um i felt like a custodian of something yeah. but matt is obsessed with football he is i think arse- that helps though i think mad. it helps that
0: you're both such big football you've got fans. to be yeah if you were just like trendy football fans it's a it's a bit different you don't have as much credibility but because you're both Massive football fans,
1: I think they he, he, you know, he was a ball boy at Highbury in the 80s. Yeah. And at a time when, even though Arsenal are one of England's most storied football clubs, because it was the 80s, it was all a little bit more amateur. So it was, I think they had a clearing out sale from the club shop in the summer of sort of 1988. And Matt Lucas went down there as a sort of young teenager to help. So there were stalls, they were selling, you know, the versions of the, of the away socks and stuff at yeah. half price, because there, were, there was a, a new kit coming in. And Perry Groves just wandered down and said, you know, do you need any help? They were like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and he, it's just, you, you can't imagine that no, now, can not you? Not at all. Um, and yeah, he was, uh, he was a ball boy at Highbury being, uh, being taught how to be a ball boy by Bob Wilson and that kind of yeah, stuff. He's, he's Arsenal mad. Yeah. So it's good because we sit in the writer's room and we write jokes about football and we watch football. It's it's a dream job really. Completely, yeah. Brilliant. But um yeah, and you know, you get guests on and they're as obsessive as with about football as you are. So yeah, it's it's brilliant. But that programme at the time, certainly when I was a teenager, it was a it was a it felt like a, a, a grown up TV programme yeah. at a time when you're discovering them for yourselves. So yeah, it was really, really exciting.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. For me, it was similar. It was, I, because I'm a little bit older, I used to record it, go to my mates, watch it when I came in or watch it the next morning. And it was a similar thing. It felt like you can relate to it more because it's more for football fans. It's not yeah. somebody talking to you or talking down to you. It's like, you felt like you are in the room. Yes, you people yes, in yes. The studio, you felt like you were part of that audience a little bit, and the jokes sometimes were just don't know things you don't normally hear on TV as well, and yeah, and a lot of just general Mickey taking out of people, and yeah, 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 stuff too seriously. So, and yeah, also,
1: I mean, the clips they would find exactly, yeah. And I know people who were involved in um, the making of the of, of it the first time around because it, it's made by the same production team. You know, people who've been worked on the original show 30 years ago spencer's now the producer one of his first jobs was he would just sit through hours of you know south african first division one yeah hoping that he would spot something like at three in the morning watching you know clips from the dutch league and stuff on video and then and then they would have to take videos into frank and david and say yeah. well, we've got this it's a painstaking, painstaking affair. We've got loads of spotters. That's how we do it. So you can be paid to watch Liverpool versus uh, Southampton.
0: <laughs> just because there might be a cat come on the pitch and. Yeah, yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right,
1: brilliant. I'm desperately hoping for a cat to come on the pitch so you don't <laughs> waste your time.
0: Just the last thing then for today, Ellis, just want to ask you. Um, What's a great retro football memory for you? Away from Wales, away from Swansea, something that perhaps people don't talk about. Like, for example, I go back to the 80s and I used to love things like St. Greavesy and things like that. Uh, yeah, huge fan of that. What type of memories have you got? Something that's a bit of a random retro football memory for you? That I mean, one another one I used to love watching was sports night obviously i know you're a fan of the yeah (laughs) um
1: when you watch the big match with elton wellsby yeah so at the time you had uh i think you had matched the day on bbc one and then you had which but that only tended to cover the fa cup yeah they lost the rights bbc lost
0: the rights and itv had the First Division, right, six So then,
1: and then there'd be the big match live on the Sunday afternoon. That's right. So I used to watch that. When you watch that now, the game would kick off at 3 pm. The yeah. game, the programme itself would start at about 5 to 3. Yeah. It's Elton Wells, but you and uh, coming to you live from Ellen Rhodes, Leeds United. Uh, versus Manchester City, and I'm with Jack Charlton, who, of course, played for Leeds with some distinction. Jack, just looking at the team sheets, uh, I think, um, uh, anything to notice? He's like, oh, no, no, I'd be good that he's playing Gary McAllister. Right, so now we're going to hand over to Brighton. And it really is, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's so basic. So the 89 Liverpool-Arsenal game um, at Anfield, when Michael okay. Thomas scored and they won the league, there's a really good film about it called 89 made by Amy Lawrence. who's now Yeah, the I've heard of it. I've not
0: seen it, but I've heard It's
1: of really it. good, right? So she used to work for The Guardian, but is now at The Athletic and does The Athletic Arsenal podcast with Ian Storm. Uh, I'm fascinated by that game because of the build-up to it yeah, and the fact that the league effectively became a cup final yeah. because the best two teams, the only two teams who could still win it, played each other yeah. in the final game. Um, According to the film, 89, the pundit, who was meant to be in the chair next to Elton Wellsby, hadn't turned up. So So the producer went into the bar, or the director's box, and Bobby Robson just happened to be there, watching in his capacity as England manager, and he went up to Bobby Robson, he said, we've lost our pundit, do you fancy doing it? And he went... Well, I don't, I don't know. He said, please, Bobby. And Bobby couldn't let him down when... Oh, no, hey. I couldn't so Bobby, is the, Bob, Bobby is is the pundit. And obviously, who knew more about English football than Bobby Robson? No. But he hadn't, he hadn't planned on being there. And he was wearing a, a, his immaculate England suit. Of course he was, because he was the manager. So he looked the part. It's not like he was wearing jeans and a T-shirt. It's just, I cannot believe that in my lifetime, things were that amateurish and left no. up to chance in such a way. And
0: yet, three years later, we saw... Complete change, Sky turned yeah. into like an American thing with helicopters yeah, yeah, coming yeah. down and Richard Key's dressing like it was on ESPN yeah. or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, But yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, you've, you, you know, the broad the ITV broadcast from that night from A89, nowadays it would start an hour before kick-off and it would keep on going till past 10 and it'd be Carragher Neville would be... Oh, yeah, they've analysed everything. Discussing shape for 45 minutes. But no, there was...
0: I don't know if I remember this correctly or not, but I'm sure they cut off at least early. Or maybe an advert, either they finished it because there was time for the news news or something. I'm sure you didn't see Arsenal celebrate for too long. I'm no, sure no, I'm sure you so... didn't.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you didn't.
0: Because a couple of years later, when United won the Cup Winners' Cup, Brian Robson's about to get the Cup, and I think they went to an advert... <laughs> First season back after the, after the ban, English club wins it, wins the cup the first time, big moment.
1: Brian yeah. Robson
0: picks up the trophy and then let's go to an advert, <laughs> so, that label. something like that. So
1: an advert for Midland Bank or, yeah. something, or the, or the Nescafe couple,
0: exactly. So yeah, brilliant, brilliant, Ellis, It's been absolutely wonderful. It's been a real pleasure for me. I felt like I could have spoke to you all day. Boo. Yeah.
1: Thank That's you. the gift of football, you see. Exactly. We probably could have talked all day. It would have been fine.
0: Exactly. Prove the point. Thank you so much. And take care and good luck. I think mean, before we go, any, I saw you've started a new podcast. Maybe it's a chance for you to
1: yes push that a new, little bit. a new history podcast yeah. called uh, Oh What a Time with Chris Sculler. who does an awful lot of stuff for West Ham United and does yeah. the Quickly Kevin he podcast is, yeah. with Josh Widdicombe. So a lot of your listeners will recognize Chris and Tom Crane is a brilliant comedy writer. Yeah. Writes on The Last Leg and writes on Fancy Football League, in fact, big obsessive football fan. So the first one came out uh, yesterday on um, July the 17th. So they're they're available at Oh What A Time on all your normal podcast platforms.
0: Fabulous. Well, good luck with that. And thanks once again for being here today and um, sharing some of your memories. It's been a real pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: No problem. Take care. Bye. Big thanks to Ellis James there for sharing memories and stories about Wales and Swansea and some of his other football memories too. Really grateful to Ellis for being my first ever guest on Retro Football Network podcast. If you enjoyed that, please click on subscribe. There's a lot more to come, more guests, more articles. You won't miss anything if you're a subscriber. There are some things that are behind a paywall. Some of the articles, it really is so cheap. All you have to do is click and you'll see that it's really cheap. So I'm hoping you'll think you'll get your money's worth. So there'll be new podcasts coming, new articles. So don't miss a thing. And I'll speak to you and see you soon. I'm Gary Cook. This is Retro Football Network Podcast. Thanks again for being here today. Take care. Have a great day. Bye.